so much has been said to, uh, to really set the context, you know, for where we're at here today. It's Palm Sunday, um, but, you know, my emphasis is not necessarily on that particular account of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But my, my thoughts are on the cross today. I, I, I went to bed with it on my mind. I got up with it on my mind. I pray that there's a stimulus in your heart. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, I determined not to know anything among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And, and I pray that somehow we have that uh, affection for the cross today. Does that make sense to you? I'm going to read probably a little bit later, but I got up with the old song of the old rugged cross on my mind. Even though at Calvary was my request for shame this morning, um, but this morning, but it says in that song, it's a wondrous beauty. Come on, it's a wondrous beauty. There's something about it. I prayed as I journeyed down the hill this morning. I said, God, if this is the wrong word, please forgive me. But, but I pray today, God, that, that I have... Uh, a, 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 just a, a fascination about the cross, just that, that, that my mind and my affections are just so, so just, it becomes so vivid, and the, the, the purpose behind it, and God's love commended in that moment for us, does that make sense? He commended his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So today I found myself in 1 Corinthians 11, and we're going to weave into this, the context of the communion emblems. We're going to break it on a Sunday morning, which is not necessarily easy to do. Sometimes we reserve it historically for Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening services, but, but so many of you don't join us on Sunday evenings that I wanted you to be able to participate with us here today. I want you to share this moment with us. You know, Jesus was moved to break bread with his family, his fellowship. He said, I have longed to eat this meal with you. We're going to take a moment here, and we're going to read Paul's exhortation as he gave instruction towards the Lord's Supper. And then I will elaborate on it in a few moments after I share with you how I arrived at that familiar passage. But I'd like to um, read, if I can, in 1 Corinthians 11 first, Jared, if I can. And then 1 Corinthians 5, that one singular verse, last, if that's possible. It looks like it's possible. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, would y'all stand up in the honor of the reading of the Word of God today? I remind you here that Paul is writing. He's writing, first of all, out of revelation, because he says this plainly. Now, I thought of this, for I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you. Now, you have to understand that the very... God of grace that revealed the doctrine of grace to the Apostle Paul through spiritual revelation. He makes it known in his prayer time, in his study, through a vision, whatever. He was not a disciple who walked with Jesus. He taught him, perhaps the greatest of all doctrines, the doctrine of grace. But in that, he also shared about the night of his own betrayal. Now remember, Matthew would write about it, John would write about it, because they were privy to that moment. They were there around the table, but Paul was not. So the Holy Spirit speaks to him with clarity and the impact of what this can be in the life of a believer that we're going to read these next few verses. So I want you to think of this. And we know that Paul is writing this because to a degree of the factions that have been created in the fellowship, that there were perhaps those who were more... Uh, financially able. They were uh, the, the people that, 
they, they had financial gain, and so they would bring a meal together to the service, and it would co-mingle with the breaking of the bread of the emblems of the Lord's Supper. And ultimately, it led to factions and divisions and contentions in the body. And so Paul is very strict and straightforward. That's the context. So let's read. He said, I've received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the very night, that the Lord Jesus, the very same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. What a powerful word right there. We are proclaiming. Did you know that word? And I'm probably robbing from my sermon, but that's okay. I'm not really concerned about that today. But that word proclaim at the root of it simply means to preach. And so by participating in the communion service here today, then in essence you, how beautiful are your feet today? How beautiful are your hands today? How beautiful is your mouth today? Because you, through your action, are proclaiming to a lost and dying world that Jesus Christ died for them on the cross of Calvary. Come on, somebody. Amen. He said, so therefore, Paul, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So I, on my phone tree last night, even encouraged you to start an examining yourself. It says, but let a man examine himself. And there's probably a greater depth to that than just me sending it on the phone tree to ask you to start preparing your heart. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, Paul says, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we, would not, or if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. You know, we can't judge our neighbor. You know, we as a church, there's something called closed communion. You can't practice communion unless you're a member of a local fellowship or you have the approval of the priest or the pastor, depending upon what type of church you're at. Our churches do not practice closed communion, but we do strictly charge you to examine yourself. I'm not here to examine you today. Right? I'm going to judge myself so that I pray that I will not partake of this bread unworthily. And I encourage you, judge your heart. When we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, look at this. When you come together to eat, wait for one another. We're going to consider one another today. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. So you can't bring your happy meal or, come on now, or your sonic number two up in here today. And the rest I will set in order when I come. So Paul here, writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that, and I say that with a clear conviction. Paul receives revelation to give parameters to the usage and the distribution of these of the, of the what we call the ordinances of the church. So here in what's the seventh verse of the fifth chapter, though, something is said by Paul that just speaks to my heart today. And I have to include this in my text he says, therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. We're not talking about weight loss here. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. Purge out that sin. You're truly unleavened. You know, God has called us unleavened here today. 
That's the virtue of the cross, isn't it, Dr. Brassfield? That God would call us unleavened here today because of Christ. Now, notice this. For indeed, Christ, our Passover. It's that where my affection has been drawn to for a little while. Our Passover was sacrificed for us. So today, for a few moments, I want to speak to you about Christ, our Passover. Christ, our Passover. Father, I love you. I feel so humbled to be here today. I trust the people have prayed for me privately in their personal devotion that I could be used of God. Father, to speak a word to the people. You spoke through a, a donkey, and, and, and Father God, uh, a, a prophet turned and, and, and got his heart right. You spoke through a, a rooster, God, and, and the apostle's heart was rent in conviction. So that tells me, Father, you can use Father, uh, even my lips to speak a word to the people today. And I pray that their hearts are being prepared, that this word will be one that they will, Father God, remember for some time, Christ, our Passover. It's in Jesus' name and all God's children said, amen and amen. You can be seated. I think it was Joe that spoke just a moment ago in his prayer time that's called in the church world Passion Week. It's the affection of the Christian community to begin to turn our attention towards Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. Certainly culminating with the practices and the traditions of the church, some of which are Catholic, uh, that have also bled over into the Protestant community. Good Friday, and from there, Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday morning. So with this, though, just very quickly... There is such a varied means of study that you could still look at such angles that you can see, that you can set your affection and your attention to, to try to glean something. I've noticed this in my personal discipleship. As much as I love to seek out and to search for words that God gives me for my own life and also for you as a church family, there is none more compelling than the cross of Calvary. There's none more moving, none stirs me like the cross of Calvary. Nothing causes me to be more in awe of the redemptive heart of our Father, that He would send His Son, that out of the bosom of the Father would come His Son, and that He would allow Him to suffer at the hands of wicked men, though He was innocent and sinless, right? To become a substitution that from the very Garden of Eden, God had promised. God had promised redemption for the sinful man that was being driven eastward out of the eastern gate of Eden. That through Christ, thank God for Jesus today. No wonder the most learned man or one of the most learned men of his generation, certainly the most learned man that would give us the two-thirds of our New Testament, would say, as already has previously been said, that I determined to be among you and not know anything, not Jewish genealogy, not grafting into the olive tree, not uh, all the things and the benefits. He said, I just wanted to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. There was an affection, as that song said, it's wondrous beauty I see. How is it that you and I can view the brutality of the cross in, as I've said many times, the theater of our own minds and yet find wonder and beauty in it? 
It's amazing to us because most of the time we would look at a gruesome scene that's graphic in nature, either that we observe with our own physical eye or in the theatrical performances that are available to us on what's called the silver screen, and many times we would turn our head away from it. Yet when we see Jesus, when we think of Jesus and his sacrificial death and how he pillowed his head in faith with a crown of thorns upon his brow, It moves us to meditate upon it. It moves us to not try to pull that thought down in our minds. I don't know about you. When I get a carnal thought or an evil thought or a thought or a picture or image in my mind that that I know is distasteful to God, I want to pull that down. And I try try to turn the channel. I want to quickly get it off of there. But in my mind, when I think about Jesus... On that tree, I'm telling you, there is something that compels me in my adoration to God. I'm so grateful for him today, aren't you? So grateful for his love and his kindness that he exhibited to us. I want to just share for just a moment, Paul again says that he received this instruction from the Lord. He drew attention in his writing to Jesus' inauguration of what we call communion On the night he was betrayed, that's very important for us to catch, for that brings an association to Passover. Many of you may not be familiar with Passover, and I'm going to just kind of lightly glaze uh, over the top of it for just a moment here today. So our meal that we know, and I'll mention this deeper in a few moments, commemorates Jesus' death. Jesus and his disciples had gathered in what's called a large upper room to commemorate the Passover which was the institution given to Israel of a dinner meal that would provide a point of remembrance for the night that they were birthed out of bondage. It was as if that was the labor of Zion that night, and it was, it was as if the water broke that night, and a dispersed people came forth. The sons of Jacob, the tribes of Jacob came forth as the nation of Israel. And they were given instruction. I don't know if you remember the text that Sister Julie read for us was in Exodus chapter number 12, where the children of Israel were instructed by Moses on that fateful night that this would not be the only time that you would eat this Passover meal. It would be the most important time that you would eat it. But he said, let this be a memorial for generations to generations to generation. An annual memorial that when you are established in the land and you've built houses and you have planted vineyards and you've got your own occupation and you've got your schools of learning and that when you're seated at that table and you're breaking the emblems, and you're sharing the, the, the instruments that remind you that your children can tug on your sleeve and say, Daddy, Mama, tell me what this means. And you can look at them with a tear in your eye, and you can say, you know, we were in bondage for 400 years. Our forefathers suffered under the heavy hand of Pharaoh. They took our firstborn many times, and they slew them, casting them into the Nile River. They were wounded and beaten and broken. But on one fateful night, on one fateful night, God heard the cry of his people and God brought us out. What a powerful story that is. Now we know that the events of the Exodus 
Paul has already referred to many of them, if you had taken the time, and I didn't take you there today, but in 1 Corinthians 10, he lightly touches on the subject, that many of them follow what we call typology in Scripture, and I don't know much about it, but I'm always moved when I read about it. In essence, that there is something that was written aforetime that is a type of Christ. There's, it's a picture, it's an image, it's an incident that happened most often in the lives of the children of Israel that was setting the stage. God was painting the portrait that if you want to see the redemptive nature of God you could see it if you'll just lift the veil and not allow your hardened heart to rob you of seeing you can see though we didn't see Jesus with our eye we can see him though we didn't hear him with our ear we can still hear him because we can see him as he came to us in the word of God even through times and Paul had already mentioned such as the uh, the crossing of the Red Sea that we were all baptized into Christ like as Israel were baptized into Moses and we know that the split rock at Horeb that rock that just set out there an innocent rock in the desert but the people were, star, or were, were, were dehydrating and had no water, no means to serve two million men, women, boys, and girls with water. You can't bring that much water with you to provide for you for that journey. But Moses took the rod, the rod that had been used to bring forth the judgment of God upon the people of Egypt. And he smote that rock. And when he smote that rock, outflowed uh, life-giving water. And how many of you know that rock, Paul said? That rock was Christ. Because it was there on Calvary where Christ was smitten for us. Our minds can go quickly to the bitter waters of Marah where they tasted that water and that water was bitter and it would not satisfy them. And so Moses then took a tree, just took a tree and put a tree in it and it immediately healed the water. How many of you know that tree was representative of Christ's tree that he died upon? Certainly Jesus said it himself. He said, as your fathers had manna in the wilderness, as your fathers had manna in the wilderness, he said, he said, that's not the true manna. He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And he said, your fathers ate that bread and they were still hungry. They were still unsatisfied. But he said, if you'll eat this bread, come on, you'll never hunger or thirst again. Come on. What a powerful image. And maybe... Maybe the greatest of all was this, when the children of Israel, due to the sin that they found themselves privy to through temptations, even in the wilderness, the Bible says that fiery serpents crawled out of the rock and bit many of them. Hundreds, even thousands of men, women, boys, and girls were bitten by poisoned asp, and there was no uh, vaccination in those days, and men and women were dying. And Moses received instruction from God that you would take a serpent and make a brazen serpent out of brass and weave it around a pole. And you would raise that pole up in the wilderness. And whoever would look towards that pole with that brazen serpent around it, he said, then that man would be healed. And I love it in the scriptures it's that you don't just glance at it. If you look at the root word, the root word in the Hebrew, and you know that I struggle with English, much less with Hebrew. But when I've studied this out, I've found that it's not a quick glance at the cross. That's what's wrong with so many today. That's all we do is take a quick glance at the cross. But Moses said, you've got to put your fixation on the cross. You've got to become infatuated with the cross. You've got to have a fascination with the cross. If you'll look to that serpent on the pole, then you'll be healed. I don't know about you. When I look at the brutality that Jesus suffered and how that God made him to be sin. He who knew no sin was made to be sin, that I might be made the righteousness of God. Once again, what a wondrous, 
attraction for me. That's the cross of Calvary. And there was picture images of it throughout the Exodus. But with all of those, can I say that perhaps the greatest of all living examples that we can trace back through the Old Testament could be Passover. It could be that very night that Moses received divine instruction. The very same listening ear that had heard the voice of God speak to the children of Israel and to Pharaoh about the coming wrath of God. You know that there were ten acts of divine judgment on the people of Egypt that were not quite satisfying again to the hardness of Pharaoh's heart it only turned his heart harder against God and his his willful refusal to allow the people of Israel to depart into the wilderness where Moses said they would go initially just three days in into a journey and sacrifice unto the Lord by the time we read this as we come to this passage there that Julie read from in Exodus chapter number 12 we find that there was a strange instruction that was given to Israel that night. A strange instruction, something that perhaps that they had never contemplated before. And this I want to remind you, remind you of today because this is where my, uh, my, fix, my, my, my mind has been affixed on for, or my fixation has, has been on this real quickly. It's just been on, it's been on the wrath of God. I hate to say that because I know God is a God of love and he's a God of mercy and he's a God of kindness. But he's also a righteous judge. And he had already displayed his wrath in ten separate acts upon the nation of Egypt. And so the Israelite was aware of the wrath of God. Though the wrath of God did not fall on the people living in the good land of Goshen. But did you know on that night something was about to change? On that night the wrath of God would not, would not fail to go through the good land of Goshen as well. What do you mean the good land of Goshen? Do you remember that when the children of Israel first were brought into Egypt, when Joseph was still alive, the good land of Goshen was the place where they were given to dwell? And while those acts of God, those acts of wrath fell on Egypt at the mouth of Moses when he was speaking to Pharaoh and pointing to the, 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 the wrath of God, that the Bible says that it did not fall. It did not come. It did not enter. The frogs did not enter. The gnats did not enter. It, the, the animals of the Israelites did not die. But on that night, here's what the instruction came. The instruction came was that you were to take a lamb of the very first year. And you were to take that lamb and you were to slaughter that lamb right at evening time. And you were to go and to take of the blood of that animal and you were to put it in a basin and you were to stand outside your door. And you were to mark the lintel, the top and the side post of the door with the blood of the lamb. Because here was the warning that God was giving to the listening ear of the Israelite through the prophet Moses. The death angel's coming and he's not just going to the land of Egypt. Oh, that the world would know that tonight. For hidden in that is the cross of Calvary. Hidden in this picture image is what happened for us on the cross. Because the death angel would loom outside the door of every Israelite home equally as much as he would the Egyptian because they were guilty before God as well. They were sinners in and of themselves. They were sinners before God. But Moses said this. Moses said that if you will put the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, when the death angel passes outside your house, I love this today, the old hymnist said, when I see the blood 
Come on, somebody. When I see the blood, I will pass. I will pass over you. Thus we get the title, the Passover meal, because it was on that fateful night that, yes, the death angel came, and the shadow of death went through all the good land of Goshen equally as much as he did to the Egyptians. But there was one thing that stood between the children of Israel and the wrath of God and the death angel. It was the... Come on, somebody. It was the blood of the Passover that stood as their defense that if they would just but trust not in their own merit not in their own effectiveness to plead God's cause or a cause before God but they had to just sit back that night and just trust in the merit and the virtue of the blood that was on the doorpost I don't know about you today but I stand before you here today knowing that the wrath of God abides on every person except for those that are covered by the blood. Thank God for the blood of Jesus here today. Thank God for that image that we have in our hearts and minds. That death angel was exercising the righteous wrath of God. But church family, they were protected by the blood. And so can you imagine, can you imagine that Israelite a hundred years later that understood to some degree the virtue of that redemptive night when their little son or daughter around that Passover meal said, tell me about this. And now they could say, I want to tell you about the night that God brought us out of bondage. It wasn't because we were stronger than Pharaoh. It wasn't because we just rose up with a revolution and we overthrew Pharaoh and his armies and we burst our way out. It was because God so loved us and God chose to deliver us, but we were saved by virtue of that blood that was applied on the doorpost that night, the Passover. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I love that, for indeed, he writes, Christ, Christ is our Passover. He was sacrificed for us. Church family, in just a few moments, we're going to break the bread and drink the cup. And as we do so, I want you to be reminded that what we share as this supper together collectively as a family found its origination in that Passover meal. And Jesus brought it to the next level on that night, the night of his betrayal. And that's what Paul alludes to. And so tonight, I'm just being honest with you today. I'm not necessarily, though Christ saying he is my Passover, my fixation is not necessarily even on what took place in Exodus but my fixation is upon what took place on Calvary. Does that make sense in here today? A wondrous attraction, I find. For Israel, the feast of Passover was exclusive to the Israelites. Strangers among them had to be circumcised as a sign of the covenant. But today, tonight, today, you and I will have that privileged opportunity to partake and to be in true fellowship and communion with Christ. I wrote it this way, and I want to go ahead and move it because I want to hasten us towards these breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup here today, but let me just take a moment to talk to you. When you think about the cross and you have a spiritual fascination with Calvary, Calvary is so diversified when you read about it and meditate upon it. Do you take the time, as I do, during the course of what we call Passion Week, to let your personal devotions begin to take you down that 
Via Della Rosa, where you walk with Jesus down the city, the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem, there Jesus Christ suffering with the cross laid over his shoulder. Do you find some type of spiritual gratification knowing that it was there that he died? And do you observe it, looking at whatever element that you can, saying, God, turn my attention to it, whether it be the, the mule that he rode into town on, whether it be the crowd that at one moment was celebrating that, behold, that he was coming into the city and maybe just a few short days later they're crying out crucify him Uh, whatever your uh, fixation is I don't know but I'm just so thankful that when I look at it there's something released inside of me that perhaps I can't find in any other place when I see Christ at the cross I want to share with you what the Lord laid in my heart out of that passage in 1 Corinthians before I begin to bring you forward I want to talk about communion if I can for just a few brief short minutes I know I won't take a long time because I must save a little bit of time to have you share these elements with us here today First of all, communion today, the bread and the cup, is going to remind us that we are united with Christ. I'm united with him today, aren't you? Right? He sent his spirit into my heart, crying, Abba, Father. I'm called a joint heir with Jesus Christ, joined to him by the Spirit of God. But I want to draw your attention to this as well. But I'm not only joined to him, but I'm joined to you. If I can say one thing that is missing in many of our American churches, and that is a true recognition of how that we are of one body. We are many members. One thing that we will do a disservice to you here in a moment. And in one, mo- and, and one day, our, our, what, what, what is the, the word? Not, I want to say sanctifying, and I know that's because I have that biblical trained mind, versus um, sanitation. The, our sanitation and sanitary practices We don't necessarily like the thoughts of it being just one loaf and one cup. Everybody's glad that they got their own little cup here today because you're thinking, man, that brother was coughing and wheezing and he's driving and that priest can't wipe it off enough to to cause you to want to necessarily drink out. But in doing so, just to be honest, we robbed from you just a little bit of the mystery of that moment because, first of all, it was to represent his body, But then also, it was also to represent that we are now his body. We're many members. And I want to remind you, as you unite in this communion today, not only is it a reminder that you're united with Christ, but it reminds you that you're united with each other. Come on, church family, we need one another. You cannot do this. You cannot run this Christian race. Come on. God wants us to be running collectively together as a fellowship, learning and loving one another. One thing... I want to say to you today that needs to be shouted and proclaimed loud. Paul wrote in the previous chapter, the 10th chapter, you cannot partake of the devil's table and the Lord's table. Man, I'll tell you what, I think that needs to be thundered from our pulpits. One thing that communion should do is it demands a decision. It demands, are you with Christ? Are you with the world? Right? This, uh, have you sold yourself out to idolatry and wickedness and fornication and the lust of your flesh? Or have you died to all that? Come on, somebody. And that your communion is now with Christ. I, I love it because it forces me to examine my own self, to search my own heart and mind. And that's the third point is we are to examine ourselves. Did you know that word examine at the root means to test or to scrutinize to see if you're genuine? To see if you're genuine, Paul would conclude the second epistle to the, uh, uh, to the Corinthians with these words. He would say, examine yourself, whether Christ be in you or not, lest you be found reprobate. I'm telling you, nobody can search your heart but you. You've got to ask yourself hard questions. Are you in the faith? Do you know God? Have you received of His Holy Spirit? Do you have the peace that passes all understanding? 
I'm not saying that you're a biblical theologian, but I'm saying that when His Spirit has come into your heart, there is an identifying in your heart and life with Christ, and you know it. Right? You commune with the Father, and you're in fellowship with Him, and you know it. And by examining yourself, you're saying, I'm with God, and I'll eat at His table. I'm like Mephibosheth at times. I may not feel like I belong there, but you know what? I'm still eating at the king's table. Praise the Lord. Number four, we proclaim, we preach, and we announce his death till he comes. We announce not only his death, but the purpose for his dying. If we were to trace this back to you, the original words of Jesus is recorded by Matthew. I believe it is. Matthew records that Jesus said, this is my cup, which is shed, listen to this, for the remission of sins. Let me go one farther than that. It was shed not just for my sin, but for your sin. Why are you saying that, Pastor Brown? Because for whatever reason, we're arriving in our culture today theologically imbalanced where we don't think that we're sinners. But I've got news for you today. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There was none righteous and no, not one. And I'm telling you, you may not be Charles Manson and you may not be Adolf Hitler, but you had still sinned against God. And you deserve the righteous wrath of God. But His blood was shed for you, right? So that you could be made His righteousness in Christ Jesus. So we proclaim that. How long are we going to proclaim that? Till we get tired? No, we're going to proclaim it till He comes. And if one day, with my dying breath, path pass into eternity, and I'll never fill this pulpit again, somebody else, I don't know who it will be, but I hope they climb back up in this pulpit the day after I'm gone, and they open the Bible, and they want to tell the listening ear that come to church that morning that Jesus Christ died for a sinner so that they could have eternal life and life more abundantly. Because we're going to do it not till I'm gone, not till you're gone, not till this denomination is gone, not till the Protestant movement fades away or the Pentecostalism is forgotten. But we're going to proclaim this until Jesus Christ splits the eastern sky, come on, and returns in all of his glory. Glory to God. I don't have much of a voice today, but that's good preaching right there. And you know what? I'm going to do it in remembrance of. I'm going to break this bread in remembrance of Jesus today. His broken body. Can I say this as I'm preparing to invite those ushers in just one moment? Let me say this. These are just nuggets. Nuggets, nuggets. Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us. I've shared this many times on Wednesday nights, or excuse me, Sunday nights, when we've typically taken communion. But Pentecostals believe in a doctrine called divine healing. I want to say that to you today. I thank God for modern medicine. And I'm not against modern medicine. I, I, I use it when I need it. Right? And I, and I, and I want you to, to as well. But at the same time, let me just tell you, it's our belief in the assemblies of God and beyond that healing is provided for under what's called the atonement. And where do we find that doctrine? Very quickly, we find it in that Passover meal. Because the blood was upon the doorpost. That wouldn't allow the death angel to come in. But inside that home, they were to eat every bit of the lamb's body. And you know, it is our belief that Jesus Christ, that bread represents his body broken at the cross. That 39 stripes, lacerations were placed upon his back so that the apostle Peter could look back on that, on that moment in time and say, by his stripes, 
you are healed. You say, Pastor, when do I need that? You need that every day of your life. But let me tell you, you need that especially when the doctor comes in and gives you that negative report. Or your child calls from afar and says, I'm going through a health crisis right now. What do I do? It's then that you can retreat to your place of prayer. And there by faith you can say, Father, I believe that we've eaten the body of the lamb. And therefore, Father, we trust that by Jesus' stripes we are healed. God touched us in our physical bodies. That's where we get the faith and the basis to pray with that faith. Out of that Passover meal that Paul then said, again, that body broken for us, his broken body. And so lastly, he said, Paul, it was the new covenant that was in his blood. Passover initiated, I believe, to the Israelite, the covenant, that what we call the old covenant. I can't say it was fully ratified through Passover. This is my theological observation that I believe it was ratified with the giving of the law when Moses then sprinkled both the people and the law. But I do believe that the old covenant was initiated through that Passover lamb that night. It was initiated. But let me tell you today, you have a new covenant cut in his blood. Time would have failed us. Time would fail us of the, of, of the necessary moment that we would be able to just share with you what does that mean? What does that mean? Not the blood of a bullock or a goat. I didn't carry the physical object of a lamb in here today. But I came in here with the belief in my heart that Jesus' blood was sufficient for me. Right? Peter said, you were not redeemed from your sins Come on, somebody, with corruptible things. But you were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And that today, that today, church family, will be represented where in a few moments of time, you're going to walk to the front of this church. And there's going to be a, an elder or a deacon at this church that's going to be standing right there. And you're going to take a little cup out. And you're going to find you either a place to stand or you're going to go back to your seat, whatever's most comfortable for you. And you're going to hold it there. And as you do, if you'll but... Allow the faith that's inside of you to grasp the sincerity and the seriousness of that moment. You'll be drawn to the attention that in that cup, in that cup, the reminder of that cup that it contains is that Jesus' blood was shed for you so that you would have access to an eternal God and that your sins, the songwriter said, though they were scarlet, now they're white like wool. Does that make sense here today? I'm privileged to be able to share these emblems with you. Jesus said with his disciples, he said, I've longed to eat this Passover meal with you. I've longed to share this with you today. Christ has become our Passover. He's our sacrifice for us. We're going to share in his broken body and in his cup. It's going to unite our hearts together as a fellowship in ways that we cannot get in any other way. We're going to walk out of here and know that we're a part of the brotherhood and the sisterhood of the believers that are in Christ. And it's going to also empower us to live our life being a bold and a bright witness. When? Till he comes. Does that make sense today? Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are